Welcome to Percussion Perspectives, a podcast by Henrik Knabor Larsen and Håkon Steine. Each episode of Percussion Perspectives features one or more musical artists in conversation about musical education, practice and aesthetic and sociological perspectives. Belgian percussionist Tom de Kock studied in Brussels and in Detmold, Germany and obtained his Doctor of Arts degree at the Conservatorium in Brussels in 2015. For many years he held a position as a percussionist with the Brussels Philharmonic Orchestra and he has been working as a freelance musician across Europe with ensembles such as Ensemble Moderne, Musikfabrik, Nader and Nickel. He is a member of the ICTUS Ensemble where he now also conducts, curates concert programs and leads an academy for young professionals who wish to pursue a career in contemporary music. Tom has performed all over Europe and the US and regularly collaborates with prominent figures of the international contemporary music scene. In this episode, Tom talks about his work as a percussionist, as a program curator and a conductor with the renowned Ictus Ensemble, about extending and challenging the classical notion of musical interpretation, about his work as an orchestra player with the Brussels Philharmonic, about the marketplace of musical education, about stress management, about personal limits and burnouts as a result of working too much, about the difference between private and professional listening, about his new projects involving live electronics, and why the Rolling Stones guitarist Keith Richard remains an inspiration. What got you into music? What stuff did, did you listen to as a youngster that might have something to do with what you ended up doing as a musician? If there is a connection at all between your kind of private listening and your professional yeah. playing, uh, and if still if this music still uh, still matters to you somehow, it's also interesting. I was and I'm, I'm, I am still a big Rolling Stones fan, and uh, actually, I always say. I have three examples in my life with Kit Richard and Peter Utfush and Georgie Viktors. And um, but it's very important for me, especially in stage attitude. I think now I still have that. I mean, I like rock and roll, mm. and I like rock and roll, even if you play classical or contemporary or serious music. So it's about entertaining people still. So I'm, this is a very important topic for me. For the rest, I think if you ask what I listen to for nowadays, I don't listen to music anymore mm. at all. Uh, only when I need to program for my job as a as a curator for the advanced master, mm. then I, I really look for quality and um, for things that interest me, for new things, uh, for sharp things. But as a listener, maybe on the train, I would I would go for like even Coldplay or U2 or mm. Rolling Stone, easy mm. listening. Yeah, to free the time because uh, it's also issues with sometimes after I had a, I had a burnout when I was thirty, mm. and then you have time to come down sometimes, and you really need to 
let your mind go away from all what are you, what you're mm. doing so music for me is more like something to if i listen to it something to relax and something to maybe find memories rather than enjoying uh, actually and it's it's a bit strange to say that eh? but it's it's actually true so yeah. interesting very interesting if you wouldn't mind i'm just going to cut this in but i would love to come back to later what you, when you say burnout if yeah, you want yeah, to talk about it, it's very private of course but if you want to talk about uh, w what led up to that and how you recovered and how you yeah, learned yeah, sure. learn from that right yeah, yeah but we can do this later if you don't if you want um Started to be a musician, maybe it was when I was 14, I knew I wanted to be. Uh, and then it was quite shocking to hear from a lot of people, actually, that I hadn't the level and I wasn't ready for it. I hadn't the talent and whatever. So actually, the, maybe the fuck you to that made it that I practiced so much. <laughs> what led you to taking lessons and stuff? Did you play bands? Did you play wind band? Did you play orchestra? Like yeah, rock band, big band, school band, uh, youth orchestra. I think all the spectrum you could have brass bands, mm. harmony band. Uh, I all did that to, up to a certain level. I never went in this harmony championships or whatever. But then I, I started quite early to do like these youth orchestras and semi-professional classical orchestras. Yeah, that was the first cool. the first step. And then you auditioned somewhere in a conservatory. Yeah. yeah. 18. So I wanted to go to Brussels because uh, the, for me it was the, the only place where it met to what I wanted to have uh, in quality and also in in repertoire what they played there also yeah how how they how they approached music in general and uh, I was let in because at the time there was there wasn't many students there there was only like four or something five and up to when I was finished Brussels there was still was like that now it's a class of like 18 people or something mm -hmm. it's really crazy. Then it was a really small class, and but we had a lot of practice, a lot of instruments, and I did five years in Brussels. So it wasn't a master degree yet, but now it's uh, it's equally rated. And then after Brussels, I moved for an Erasmus initially to Detmold with Peter Prommel, and then stayed there because I, I really liked his approach to music psychology and also to practicing methods, also stress management. Repertoire and also uh, every week we play the concert there. Like every Monday there was a class concert, so mm. I played like yeah, one hundred concerts in two years or something. It was wow. crazy. He pushed me to do every week another piece, even if it wasn't ready. And that yeah. was the biggest mm. in my life. Mm. Fake it, and uh, if it's necessary to fake it or 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 to to go through your limits when you're really stressed, and then you learn how to cope with stress. I, mm. I try to do that students as well but it's hard to organize this if you don't have the infrastructure actually at the same time as i applied for the concept exam in detmold i applied for the ensemble modern academy in frankfurt and mm -hmm. was in both so i did both at the same time that was only one year mm -hmm. there was another and i finished in detmold the concept exam in 2009 and then i applied for phd in brussels yeah so that's the part Looking back, um, this is a long time ago now, so 15 plus years. <clears throat> is there anything that you still like have in the front of your mind as a professional that you're still working on? Or is it, you know, what, what, what is the kind of, let's top three messages you took away from, from those years that you still... Uh, that Bill Coxon is still the, the master. <laughs> <laughs> For snare, snare technique, I, I still do it. I, mm. Not every... I have periods where, you know, if you need a certain, like the, the, the technical... Um, stability stays about 95%. If you need, need this 5% extra, then I, I always go back to 
Wilkinson, mm-hmm. or to Pratt, or this uh, rudimental drumming to get your, your chops back into into place. So that's for sure. And also what, with Parcartier, we had a, a very consistent scales uh, comprehension and, and also uh, mm. exercises coming from jazz because he's a jazz player. Mm. And with this whole system with um, every possible interval you could do with a scale and all inversions in all 12 tonalities, mm. uh, if it's either melodic or diminished scale, whatever combination of, of intervals. And that is the basis for me of, of, of my whole mallet mm. playing, although I, mm. I don't play so much mallets anymore mm. but now if i have to teach it you see there's a basis that you can't break i mean mm. there's so much uh, mm. of the instrument and of the of the scales and stuff yeah so that's i think those two very basic stuff but it's the basis of everything i think yeah yeah and sure. do you so do you how do you manage to keep the hands in shape between all the projects that you do like how does a typical week in your life look now these days in terms of uh, your own practice time and kind of uh, just to stay in shape in shape i have little problems i have arthrosis in my in my thumb so there's no cartilage anymore there and it hurts so the only thing i can do is is keep the muscles around it in shape that means in periods where i have heavy playing like for example this week with desert music where you have a lot of marimba mm. just uh, yeah you the week before i practice half an hour snare drum a day but mm. that's it mm. much more than that i i really don't do anymore and i really believe in this if you build the basis over the first 15 years then after a while there's no need for yeah, practice it's kind of there yeah is the arthritis some kind of damage or an autoimmune reaction thing no it's damage. it's arthrosis it's not arthritis. it's not an infection it's just ah. the cartilage in the bones is is gone but and it's uh, it's a genetic thing so mm. like joint should mm. be more pronounced mm. and because it's not pronounced um it always shifted in inside mm. also with my Playing with snare drum playing and this Marimono by Pierluigi Biloni fucked my wrist. Oh, <laughs> really like uh, 100 times, or and you have to hold this with the squeezing, the yeah, with the squeezing of the, the springs. Yeah, the joint was crazy, yeah, and then wears out. And then I was first treated by a doc, a, a quite celebrate doctor in, in Leuven from the university yeah. hospital. Yeah, she fucked it. She thought it was an infection of the tendons, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It was uh, so. It's for six years, she made me have uh, injections with cortisone, oh, and it was the wrong thing. Oh my god! I, I remember when I was practicing Donatoni and stuff like that. The first time I had this problem was when I, I did Omar in concert, and it was like my thumb would fall off or something. Wow! And it wasn't only only that. It's just over usage of and wrong practicing. And, and now, if you understand it better, it's also because genetic thing. If I have students that have the same kind of of, mm. of they have to be very careful. Mm. I have this one student who has flexible joints, so she can she can yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. she can't almost play snare drum in a way I teach it because it's just it overuses the too the hard joint. for the joint. Okay, so what do you do then? Yeah, she she has a program with her physiotherapist where she where she develops other muscles, and so, so she she changes the grip and works quite well. But she has mm-hmm. to be very careful. it's something to be aware of. Right? I mean, we all have this kind of 20-something percussionist in us that just was chewing notes all day and just learning the hard, hardest pieces, yeah. that kind of investment. And it's also interesting to talk about uh, injuries, like you said, and I'm sure um, the Bilona also gave you a bit of tinnitus because it's a very metallic, very loud piece, uh, you know, that kind of... Do you have such problems? No, never. Never. I, 
this year in Corona, but it was straight. I, I had some nights where I thought I would have tinnitus, but until now I'm safe from that. And also when yeah. I when I uh, do tests of my hearing, it's quite okay. There's like a, a fall on uh, 2000 hertz or something because of wood block or vibraphone, I don't know. Yeah. I always remember what Pierre Boulez told me, if the ear is prepared, nothing is too loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something to that, right? Depends on your genetics also, but uh, I mean, if you're prepared, it's fine. Yeah. Right. Is there anything you want to talk about in terms of like studies or stuff you regret doing as a student? Uh, not like necessarily about people or teachers you regret, but like choices you did as a student, pieces you would rather not have done or spent, how do you spend the time differently? Or... I, I strongly believe in a path and then I'm sure if I didn't do this Keiko Abe bullshit, mm. <laughs> I had the strength in my hands to do uh, one of this marimba crazy shit of Mantovani or something. So uh, I don't know if it's regret. I mean, now I have a clear opinion about what people like my students should play, but yeah. I also allow them to play if they, if it, even if it's not my taste anymore. Mm. But regrets, I don't think I have, I ever have regrets in mm. my life. And it, it comes as it is and then if you do it wrong then you can change to something right if you if you want i sometimes feel for myself that you, you also invested a lot of time with like nada in the early days of nickel uh, just learning a lot of music that you don't necessarily have in your life anymore and that just took so much time i mean i sometimes think back on all the pieces we played with asami samasa I, I don't want to mention any names or anything but it's just so much work that you could pop that pieces that yeah. 10 years later you almost you totally forgot them right i think it's good you forget them as well I, but i only regret i would have in 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 this maybe is that sometimes i was too harsh to people if, if, when i was young that that's mm. maybe a, a mm. regret uh, to a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah, still i'm still I, I just i actually just found out i i probably have uh adhd uh, ADHD, yeah, ADHD. yeah okay and, uh, but not maybe not attention deficit, but uh, for sure yeah. hyperactivity and uh, for sure impulsivity. And um, so I, I think I stepped on a lot of toes uh, when I was between 20 and 30 and after 30 as well. So this I regret, but I always apologized. Okay. Except that's a personal story. But uh, yeah, I think this I regret a lot that I spoke before thinking mm. out of a uh, personal pride or out of um, musical artistic engagement in the rehearsal or something or always artistic because i thought i knew best and yeah sometimes this is like that but sometimes it's not like that and then yeah yeah you always think you're in the in the place you are you, you always think you're the king but at least i'm i'm i think that because you're so um sure of what you do right? because mm. you practice Mm. and then if people come in the way it's hard to accept that but mostly it's maybe better to do it afterwards if you see it now mm. because maybe you can learn actually something from that also. would you say you've, you've become a better team player with this experience behind you uh, more careful more careful yeah, <laughs> yeah. i don't know it's, it's better it's more yeah. careful and more um, i mean yeah it's not always that simple because like last month we had the project and i was very harsh again but really with reason um and this this person really took it very badly but mm -hmm. then i stood with my opinion so yeah mm -hmm. it depends on the situation also. it's really not so black and white
Mm. But I think, yeah, it's always the team. The team thing is very important because without people, you can't do anything. I mean, percussion soloist doesn't exist yeah. at all. Yeah, uh, and you need people to to bring you where you want to be. Right. <laughs> yeah, you need them as well. Yeah, I think so. Do you want to go into more recent stuff? Um, stuff that really kept you busy in the past, maybe five years or ten, five to ten years, if you if you sure. want. And yeah. also describe how your practice changed, or uh, if there was ever a big change in your practice, and uh, how this yeah. came about, and what kind of engages you today. Yeah. Okay, that's a big question. So yeah, I think it started um, the change in my in my way of of playing and seeing things started with the PhD, of course, because anyway, you need to spend time on, on what you do and what you think about and what you want to do for the next uh, part of your life. And then with this whole reflection and the, and also the choice of, of thinking of this repertoire that actually was part of my life than the 10 years before the PhD, then I, I really wanted to make a point on it and say, okay, I'm going to make recordings that I think is how the pieces should be played and that can also help people with this living scores platform mm. um, that can help people to learn, uh, break it down, analyze it, and make play long recordings, click tracks, uh, tools, mm. and whatever. And and that made I think was the biggest change in my view as as a maybe as a teacher or as a I don't know a mentor or what I don't, I don't know like all these words because they're so old fashioned. But yeah, it, I think it was the first step in in finding a way to help people. To be better than me and that i strongly believe that i always always found that even if, if i was 18 that a teacher's job my parents are teachers as well mm -hmm. that the teacher's job is to make a student better than himself mm. for me uh, sumum as a teacher mm. and, and i really thought about how i could do that and um, how i could help or enthusiast people mm. for the thing i'm very passionate about which is contemporary music as a whole, but very specific pieces also what we do with Ictus and what I did with Nickel and also mm. with Nada. Like that. So it's always, of course, it changes, but there's always a kind of quality label behind it. No, mm. It's uh, something that's there and that you, you feel it. It's hard to name it, uh, mm. what is actually, why it's good, but you feel it's good and you really want to push it in the world and you mm. want to help this composer to be played also by students, etc. Mm. And uh, I think now... Now I've really found my way in Ghent with the advanced masters together with my colleague, Joris uh, Blankart, to enthusiast people and to find really for the people a way they can really live of what they want to do. The most important, and I think there's a big lack in, in uh, art education in general in the world about uh, how to, to help them find something that they go to a teacher mm. to become as a teacher. And mm. that's something always found with this, the big schools like there's so many different uh, examples of that and they all go there to play exactly the same repertoire as a teacher to do exactly the same with the same instruments to learn the maestro's view on the things and for mm. me it's it's impossible because the mm. whole the whole thing I always did was every piece I always question marked everything and reinvented mm. the whole mm. thing this is something very important for me uh, and then I think now with the advanced mastering Ghent and also in Liège it's coming it's it's another level of students of course because advanced masters are people they know what they want and they know where to where to go and mm. who to contact but I really want them to find something they are good at and give it to the world so it can evolve to something else mm. instead of repeating right uh, or 
old violin schools, you know, <laughs> always the right. same thing. You will have a job if you keep it local, if you find something else that nobody does, if you mm. find a niche you are really good at and that mm. you can move people, not only percussionists, but mm. the whole world, uh, if you want. And the whole thing is there's actually, there's way too many people playing very well and also applying for the same posts where you get competitions where you, or even auditions for orchestra, like my orchestra, for example, which is not even like a, a top orchestra. There's 115 people applying for one job yeah, and it's paid less than 2000 euros a month. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so that I think the whole basis of the problem is that we have too many players, mm. good players, not in the sense of exceptional players that not players that would really shake something, you know, mm. whether you mm. see, of course, we all know this kind of guys or girls where you can see this guy is going to do something. And anyway, if he does a competition or not, whatever, he's going right. to survive. We have a, a way too high level uh, number of people that are just below, but still extremely good. Still very good professionals. Does that yeah. point back to the educational system maybe and how conservatories all over the world are also have some kind of um, market uh, competition between them? Yeah, because you have to fill your classes with people uh, yeah. because otherwise you get subventions. I, I really think we should really get rid of this um, money per head uh, subvention system for schools. It's ridiculous. I think we should really go to a model which is much more related to top sports where people get the money because they're good and not because they're numerous. No, mm -hmm. This is something yeah, we can work on for 20 years still and it's not going to be there anyway. But I think <clears throat> the question what for students if they have to choose where to go is what do you want to do and why? Yep. That's the only question I ask all my students yeah not only what but why yeah and if you see yourself in 10 years how do you see it i mean where do you want to go you want to teach you want to work you want to play you want to entertain kids with music everything is right but tell me why you want to do that mm. and not yeah. because you want to earn money or i want to be the best or whatever yeah it's right. it, there's a lot happening i feel also when you start to push classical music or contemporary music into the strains of popular culture or rock starism or something like that. It's uh, kind of when you when you kind of do it for non-musical motivations. I don't see why you did. Personally, I, I have trouble seeing why why I want to just play full on pop music then instead of trying to be a classical musician playing pop music. Or or you can 
you can make the format you play, but then it needs a lot of work. Yeah. And that's actually what we stand for at ICTUS, I think, and it's, it's very important for us. You can make it so so it's actually nice to look at. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. <laughs> or it yeah. sounds actually good, or the yeah. amplification is actually well done. You yeah. Know? And yeah, yeah. Best money in that. And then uh, you can come closer to what they do in, in pop culture, they do for many years, and they do it way better than us. Huh? Yeah. It's, uh, problem i have with a lot of this, this the new series of composers um that you want to do something with light is but again why because beyonce does it way better than you yeah, she, yeah. Has, she, she has a different budget yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, tell me why you want to do that and, and if you want to do something with light or with amplification then at least try to do it as good as possible like mm. learn how an eq works learn how a compressor works mm. uh and then yeah. apply it you do <laughs> right uh, when you sp speak about ictus can you uh, talk a little bit about that your engagement with the ictus ensemble and how the artistic uh, processes work within that group because you're a larger group i don't know 15 players 20 players actually more than 20 yeah it depends yeah. now how we work we changed a lot over the past years yeah but um yeah so i play with them since 2007 as a freelancer and then fixed member since 2014 i think something like that hmm. uh, and then uh, it was actually it's my my whole professional career is about luck like most of, of us i think um so i learned the simba i had to learn cymbalon when i was in some modern and um rumi told me <laughs> so you'll play cymbalon next week yeah. <laughs> and i sent my cv to tom powers the next week and i said by the way at the end of the mail i said uh, by the way from now on i play cymbalon too so he, he messed me back and said okay we need the cymbalon play <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i had to play this Really, really different, difficult score from Jan Maresh uh, quartet with electronics in Irkam of all mm. places, like my first concert ever. Yeah. It was in Paris with full on uh, electronics, uh, five computers that, that actually crashed in the concert. That was hilarious. <laughs> of course. Uh, and that was the first. And then uh, the, the, I was very lucky again that then uh, Rosas was touring um, the Steve Reich evening uh, concert where Miguel was sick or something or he, he had some concerts that I had to replace him and from then on I was involved in a, a very regular basis uh, like it went from 10 concerts up to now 40, 50 a year um, and they asked me to replace Tom Powers uh, for a moment for a year as artistic director and then now I'm in the team of um, artistic direction and I'm more like an advisor I conduct as well since uh, three years, since Einstein on the Beach. Um, yeah, so I play percussion, I play cymbalon, I play, uh, I conduct, I do keyboards. Uh, but that's ictus, I think. So everybody that's there doesn't do one thing. So mm -hmm. everybody's versatile. Uh, everybody knows at least how amplification works, how sound cards work. Mm. how you can make your own sound and make mm. your own i mean how, how to make something else than your instrument for example right uh, or uh, mo most of them play multiple instruments uh, i mean there's some composers there's some there's some really brilliant minds there and now the ensemble moves a bit more to um, a kind of pool of of uh, of instrumentalists uh, and just artists that work together and that propose projects and then it depends on how it's how the the budgets are which mm. comes off or not it's not a an ensemble like in the early 2000s anymore where we mm. play symphonica style right. repertoire or the or the Apergis, which mm. made them famous before me yeah? i wasn't mm. there yet 
but uh, <coughs> now it's much more to yeah with the famous liquid room setting eh, where there's yeah. a lot of things going on at the same time four hours of repertoire everybody's playing everybody's yeah. moving i was um, experiencing that at the Metz music i think in 2015 or 16 in yeah, yeah. Uh, berlin that was amazing where you had basically just filled the room with musicians in all different spots and had uh just a uh, spotlight moving around that was awesome i remember very well your uh, timbre yeah, yeah, and it's it's an idea. Tom Powers, Tom Powers is a genius, and also Jean Luc Prouvier, the both artistic mm. directors. But Tom Powers built this idea together with Romitelli. It's actually a, mm. an idea of so it's, it was the rock idiom translated mm. to contemporary music. So you have a mini festival in a room mm. with four stages, and there's no gaps. Audience can always go out. This for me, it's also very important that mm. an audience member decides if he wants to listen to mm. it or not. Yeah, it's, for me, it's very liberating. To, to know that people are there because they want to be there right and next to you because they want to sit next to you and not because they bought the ticket and they want to sit out the whole concert it's very refreshing to work like that and now we move in two ways uh, i started the collaboration because i'm in the orchestra as well because some of the members wanted to go back a little bit to more traditional playing so now we have a collaboration with process Philharmonic and ictus and we just did the first concert um with steve reich and kevin Bryers and charles ives um which is much more classical in artistic in programmation but which have a lot of attention for the curatorial uh, dramaturgy of, of a concert how to make okay. a concert more than a series of pieces but to have really a narrative line this is things we really think about and uh, we, we try to move a bit the scene also so it, it becomes much more um, an art-based uh, music scene than than just a 19th century right. series of so how was this done in the uh, concrete terms uh, with the Reich uh, Briars? Um, well, I've also very important. So we started the, the whole concert was called the unanswered question, like the Charles Ives, Ives mm. piece. Started because of Corona. I started with an empty hall, of course, because there's no audience. Uh, it's online if you want to see. It. Maybe it's nice to post the, li the link because it's quite nice. Mm -hmm. It's a bit static, but it's okay. Uh, so it, it starts with the question of, of the existential question of, of life, of course, um, with the trumpet asking questions and the woodwinds reacting, of course. And then uh, the second piece was proverbs without cap. So we have we recorded the strings, um, the full of orchestra string section, and then it was played back, and the, the wind players just played along with the tape. And at the end, the chord is in G, and it's actually this, the the major chord of the minor chord of proverb. So we go without gap to to proverb. Mm -hmm. to that's a, uh, the first singer starts alone, and we do proverb. At the end of proverb, there was a big alarm from the mm -hmm. tape and a big bell, and then there was sinking of that Titanic of Gavin Bryer. So right. there was like a, wow. uh, a big sound, really really nice, and then uh, people running around uh, finding their places. Then very uh, contemplative, uh, almost very, very sad piece. Actually, this yeah. thinking of yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful. And then uh, it then it goes back at the end of of the of the Titanic. There's a music box playing mm. uh, that they found in the wreck, and this music box was then prolonged by the two Jean Lucs with bubbles that water going up and then <laughs> <laughs> and without gap we go into Tehillim, which gives them yeah. The, oh, it's a big big concert. Was was great. Sounds amazing. I was by as a conductor alone, so I was extremely stressed. Wow! Uh, amazing, really nice. amazing that you get to conduct such stuff. Yeah, I'm very lucky. Yeah. Again, but I'm always lucky. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. yeah, amazing. 
I said to your Luke, I want to connect. Okay, let's do it. And then you just yep. do it. And Fantastic. Practice. Yeah. So, okay, we're talking about some kind of uh, bigger dramaturgical take on the things. And you kind of, do you stage them as well? Or is it only about the kind of musical connection? No, it's staged. There's a light engineer, a light designer, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a very radical mix, actually. A lot of people don't like how we did it. You have to check if you like it or not. Mm -hmm. But especially the Ives had a lot of musicologists that said, no, it's not like the piece it should be. Right. Or, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot of balance choices we did uh, that are quite radical. And then the lighting and the staging, I mean, people know where they are at any time. So there's a conduit stage plan mm -hmm. uh, for Everyone, everybody, single person mm. has to know where he sits. So the strings start in the aisles. Uh, there's one one singer waiting outside. The trumpet stays in the hall. The the woodwinds come down when they hear the alarm. All mm. this kind of it's really it's like a acting uh, a choreography thing that you yeah. yeah amazing. So is this yeah. something that interests you in general? This kind of restaging of classical works or uh, even recomposing of classical works in order to kind of like you said, you want to want to bring that extra level or that new element into the into the classical repertoire. Yeah, I think for me it's evident because if you want, there's so many recordings already of of all these pieces. So if you do it, like Einstein, we did as well. We we also did a radical new new reading of that piece. Um, if you want to do it as good as as the original gem, mm -hmm. it's impossible because it. it Bob Wilson staging of Einstein, you can't copy. It's right. it's something you don't touch. It's there. Yeah. Okay. If you want to touch that piece, then you have to really turn it around and see what you can do, mm. and then uh, make something out of it that that builds a new standard, but that is can be next to it, not above or or, right. or below, but it's next to it. And I think we did the same with with Thielen. I mean, it's it not it's not radical in a way you would say I don't recognize the piece. But for example, the third movement, my choice was to to have strings way more mellow and way more way less attack than actually normally is played in the Reich. Mm. And for me, fantastically. Mm. But then you get colleges that call me and say, "Hey, but you did <laughs> you did it wrong. Understand the piece, right? And then you will see maybe it's possible to do it. Right. So, what kind of, of um, what kind of competence do you feel is necessary to take those choices other than your own musical intuition or is that a group decision or is it your personal decision as a, as a conductor and, and kind of what's what's the reflection behind those those takes only intuition okay all the all the choices but you need you need people that are very sharp eh? like like Pouvier, for example an example eh? like mm -hmm. on the beat we were programming like half a year and thinking of how we want to do and we, we arrived to the second to last pieces building and it's a very fast organ piece with woodwind improvisation and then Pluvier just said oh fuck it I'm tired of, of this piece let's just put <laughs> the computer this part and play really fast so it's over very fast and actually <laughs> yeah. actually this is the high point of the piece now that's what he did he just sped up the, the part yeah, yeah he, just, he said okay let's, let's fuck it let's just do it otherwise and then if people now come, the only thing they say, oh, this moment where the computer takes <laughs> over and flies over is so nice. I mean, yeah, that's how it goes. I think it's only intuition and trust, trust between people that if you do a choice like that, it will be, uh, it will be great. And mm. also on, on stage, you just have to mm. speed out. No? <laughs> that's right. That's the idea. That I was talking about. I mean, if you don't stand for it, like for example, Mike 
a funny house solo over this building thing in Einstein. It sounds totally ridiculous, mm. but he does so well mm. with a Mickey Mouse T-shirt with a dead head. I mean, it's the, the Mike, Mike the flute player, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so good. Uh, you, yeah. you can only watch him. And then Puvier made a, a sample base of eighty-eight samples, only prut prut pit, and then solo yeah. five minutes. It's funny. It works. It just yeah. you blow it up. With five thousand yeah. watts, and then yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you had some uh, kind of I issues where composers come back to you and say that uh, please withdraw this uh, version, take it off offline, or whatever? Not with those pieces, because uh, mostly <clears throat> we had that, of course. Yeah, uh, there was Stockhausen's widow complaining about how we did microphonie, but she never actually saw it. So yeah, it's it's okay. But also with microphonie, for example, we, we did a, a very radical version that worked very well. But it's 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 not it's another piece. Eh? If you follow the piece, like you do the reading with the 1958 version of, uh, yep. but this this maybe something to remember also. If you take these choices, it has to be based on history, and that's what we really do. So always, if you take this kind of choice, we know what happened before. Uh, we know when the piece is written. We know what the other did. We know all the different recordings. Mm, mm. So you to establishment is just another choice huh? right so it's not with disrespect but it's, it's another reading and then of course you get complaints of a lot of serious people that that say oh you can't touch uh yeah, steve reich or or, or philip glass or stockhausen or but why not i mean exactly and this is super interesting because they're all like you said there are so there's there is a tradition out there and a certain way of doing things and what your point is i guess why would you just want to repeat that you want to find your own way and your way is then a reaction to everything that's already present because you want to find your own place yes i, I don't see any interest in repeating the same thing right but it's my person also i i always look for new um, also in practice in instruments or in, in everything i always look for new challenges and if the challenge is gone it's really boring this is uh, this is very interesting would you say that that's one of your main motivations as a as a musician playing like composed music and the lead-up question to that is do you also make your own music uh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course now and it's now it's a big change now i think in my in my life i took the step to make my own music but i'm not a composer at, at all but with the instrument i built with the research project last year uh, which is the micro percussion setup uh, i was then maybe you can add the links or something with, with For sure. the recording so that's the moment i said i think i'm far enough now to also have a voice as a creator no i, I find it also big mm. words but i'm I really don't find myself like on the same level as a artist or whatever. But but I I I have the need to express something that that can't be done by composers, or you have to do a really cumbersome mm. back and forth composer and really push people in the direction you want. So now I'm I'm really trying to go in a kind of co-creation path with, mm. uh, with different composers. I start with a lot of Flemish guys that are in the electronic scene, and then um, I really would like to make a part of my further path as a position this this searching for um for making something together with people so not only complying to what other people want that you do mm. but also 
investing and also saying, look, I, look, I have this. What can you do with that? Uh, can we make something together? Can we play together? I always share the stage with them as well. So if if we make something together, I always insist that they are together with me on stage and mm. we have a, a composer in the hall or or something like that. But really, two right. people on stage, even if it's very awkward for them sometimes. Uh, right. Some of the people. Do you then work with uh, the same kind of staging idea of, of a live event, or is it more for the al album format? Oh, it's more, more, um, uh, how, yeah, how, how, to, how to put it, more traditional in, um, in concert now, but it's not, I mean, it's really at the beginning steps now. Mm. But my vision of it is, is music for musicians. It's, it's mm. not something that would be on big stages or uh, that would be, maybe one piece could be in a liquid room or something, that, that could be possible. Mm. But it's not the purpose to make like a, a thousand people uh, show off out of it. It's more something that is for people that look for uh, detail in music, and there's there's a big community I found out also I didn't know that of people that that are really uh, looking for music on Bandcamp on on Spotify mm. and stuff mm. like that and uh, future recording artists etc. So it's it's very interesting. But those people for them it's very interesting just to listen and mm. and not have this extra performance on top of it to have right. And I, for me, it's refreshing to find this this scene. I, I didn't know it. Uh, I, I stumbled upon it in the project, mm. and uh, but it's it's very refreshing, and it, it makes me look for other sounds, uh, for other ways of playing, and uh, another way how to look at an instrument. Also, also through amplification, you can some, sometimes bring out things you never could bring out acoustically. Right. Or can you talk a little bit about the technical detail of how you do that and how what kind of software you use or even microphones or, or what objects yeah, yeah. you manipulate? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. So it's able to live like all of the youngsters use now. Um, so I have 14 microphones. Most of them are contact microphones because of the detail of the sound and all the instruments are mini versions of, of uh, what it's. So my bass drum is a frame drum of 16 inch uh my hi-hat is a, a broken cowbell this uh, this bunch of of uh, sounding balls all very small this helix from mild that costs 60 everything together costs maybe two thousand euros in total so it's it's really wow. not a lot of uh, yeah it's really low budget but the, the sound cards are, are more important so th those are more expensive of course but then you can choose the, the level you want but uh, for me, the quality of the preamps was very important, and uh, and the quality of the microphones. So these these Shetter contact mics are way better than this Piezo, of course, and they, they have another mm. kind of quality of capturing the sounds. So these mm. I use a lot, eight of them in a setup. What's the brand again? Uh, uh, it's Shetler, the Swiss PAs I use for the for groups of instruments. Like I have a small uh, drum set setup in the setup also, and then like Crotalis, a bunch of them, and then it's with one mic. There's some dynamic, uh, there's something I found which was very interesting after some research with foam, that the flight case foam, this black flight case foam I use for Bilone, can transfer via uh, contact mics all the resonance of long sounding uh, metal okay. instrument. Wow. I, I enhance attack with dynamic mics that mm -hmm. are in foam as well. Mm -hmm. It's a combination. Yeah, it's sometimes it's a bit bricolage. <laughs> um, He's setting a twenty-track um, multi of twenty tracks into Ableton, and you you you, yeah. you have I your have, calling. Like, my instrument is the set with all, the, and every instrument has a, a track with the sound coming in and an effect track. Yeah, sound coming uh, for slide, each track. Then, there's an effect track, yeah. and wow. then the whole instrument of all these mm. tracks that passes through groups of effects as well. Mm. Yeah. 
purpose was to ha have end amplification of, of very small instruments, but mm. so the level you can really fill a, a whole of thousand people with like two suitcases of, 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 of Huawei Golf. But at the same time, also have the, the possibility to transform the sound, transform the sound in a way you can always hear the source of the sound. So it doesn't become just a knob where you hear a sample, right. but the basic sound is always acoustic, but you can really transform things to yeah, like the smallest thing can become mm. a monster. Yeah. So yeah, it took, a, it took a year to, to build it and to conceptualize it, but now it's, it's really how I want it. And how do you develop uh, musical forms? You improvise a lot, or you just how do you do like just jam and improvise? Yeah, and then also with people uh, like Andrea Manchanti was was a very big influence. Uh, also, Casper Tuplitz, people from the noise scene that do this for years. I mean, it's it's people that built Ableton from the start almost, eh, if you want. Mm. Uh, and then they how to organize these kind of things how to uh, how to find something in your setup that can be musically interesting uh, yeah so they, they know how, how it goes and the influence of these people that are really uh, experienced it helps of course Thank you.